Good morning again. Part 19, we're up to part 19 on God's sovereignty. Last week, if you weren't there, this won't make sense to you, but if you were here, uh, you'll know that we started with a listening exercise because the proverb was on listening, and we are not going to start with a listening exercise this week. Uh huh. You want to know why? You think you're clapping. I'm clapping because I spent half the week trying to explain the shoe size of the bus driver last week. <laughs> Dear Mrs. Smith, the reason the shoe size of the bus was this was because you were the driver of the bus. So whatever your shoe size was, that was the shoe size of the bus driver. Those that were here understand. Today, sovereignty of God in the book of Proverbs. When people hear the word sovereignty of God, that phrase, usually three things happen. One, there's the all-in group that are into the sovereignty of God. They are very, very excited about the reality of the sovereignty of God. Or two, there are people that are like, well, I believe in the sovereignty of the of God to this point, but then I'm not so sure about it after that. And then three, there is a group of people who would absolutely say, sovereignty of God, no way. Very skeptical, doubt that it even exists in the first place. We are people, we've got this figured out ourselves, and we don't need the sovereignty of God. So there's a really kind of the three groups of people that that are thinking of the sovereignty of God. Let me say right at the start, the likelihood of bringing complete clarity in a 30-minute or so sermon on the sovereignty of God, while the last 2,000 years of church history has not completely succeeded in clarifying it, is highly unlikely. All right? So I, I do acknowledge that this is a big, big chunk to study sovereignty of God. However, saying that, one, we don't run from it, and two, there are probably are not many things more important than the sovereignty of God in our personal lives. So I want us to go through four things today. One, define what is sovereignty. Two, I want us to look at examples throughout Proverbs and other places in the Bible. There are examples of God's sovereignty. There are gobs and gobs and gobs of verses that talk about the sovereignty of God. There was a time this week that my family said, hey, Dad, how, how's the sermon prep going? And I, there was a point where I said, well, you know what? I feel like most of the sermon is going to be like reading the scriptures. And one of my daughter's response was, well, that, that can't be a bad thing. <laughs> right, exactly. So it's a good sermon when you just read what God's Word has to say. And I don't know what the record number of verses being placed on the overhead is here for good news, but today we might break that record. There's so much scripture to talk about. As a matter of fact, Soundbooth has already put me on high alert that they want their salary doubled for the amount of work that I am causing them today. So thank you back there, Soundbooth, for all that you do to make the reading up here. And then third and fourth today, we're going to answer two of the big questions that people have about the sovereignty of God. Question one, if God is sovereign, do we have free will? Are we just like robots that are under his sovereign control? And question two, what about evil and suffering if there is a sovereign God? So those are the four parts that I would like for us to try to tackle here together. Part one, sovereign Sovereignty means, it's defined as, rightful authority. One who rules with permanent supreme greatness. 
It's characterized by supreme unlimited power, supreme rank, supreme wisdom. Sovereignty is an attribute of God based upon the premise that God as the creator of heaven and earth, he has absolute right and absolute authority to do or allow whatever he desires. All of his other attributes, they flow out of sovereignty. How does God exist? He sovereignly exists. Psalm 92, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and to the world from eternity to eternity, you are God. God has no creator. He has always sovereignly existed. How wise is God? He is sovereignly wise. Psalm 147.5 Our Lord is great, vast in power. His understanding is infinite. Proverbs 3.19 The Lord founded the earth by wisdom. And he established the heavens by understanding. Isaiah 55, 9. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways, God's ways, are higher than your ways. And my thoughts, God's thoughts, are higher than your thoughts. Put any other person's ways or thoughts up against God's ways and thoughts, and you've got the ultimate Eminemer. Do you know what Eminemer is? I'll tell you. It is mismatch. The ultimate Eminemer is this mismatch right here. And I am not talking about you sports people. I'm not talking about Florida, Florida State mismatch, whichever way you decide that. I'm not even talking about Muhammad Ali in his prime versus an infant. That is still not a good example of the mismatch that God is compared to any other person. He is sovereignly wise, sovereignly powerful. How powerful? How omnipotent is he? Jeremiah 32, 27. Look, I am Yahweh. That's his name. I am Yahweh, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult to, for me? And there's an understood answer there. Answer? No. Oh, you got to do better than that. Answer? No. Thank you. Job 41, 1 and 2. Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and that no plan of yours can be thwarted. And we could go on with every other attribute of God, we could start on this side of the room and each one of you give an attribute of God and end on this side of the room and every one of those attributes would be founded upon the sovereignty of God. He is sovereign. God's love is a sovereign love. God's peace is a sovereign peace. God's joy is a sovereign joy. God's wrath is a sovereign wrath. God's justice is a sovereign justice. God's judgment is a sovereign judgment. God's grace is a sovereign grace. God's salvation is a sovereign salvation. God's fill in the blank, and it's sovereign. There is no part of God's being that isn't sovereign. God is God. Not merely in name, but in full reality. God does as He pleases, when He pleases, where He pleases, how He pleases, and with whom He pleases, because He has the absolute right and power to decide all that He does. That's sovereign defined. Part two, examples of God's sovereignty in Scripture. I want to start with a category that I'm going to call little things. Proverbs 16.33, one of my favorite verses in Proverbs. This is what it says. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. 
the dice are rolled and every roll is decided by God. In other words, there are no events so small, so mundane, so insignificant that he doesn't have rule over them for his purposes. What humans may call lucky, lucky bones, thank your lucky stars, or unlucky, or chance, or fate, or coincidental, or um, fortuitous, or fortunate and unfortunate, what humans call all that, God calls his sovereignty. I mean, you can rub those dice all you want. You can, you can blow those dice all you want or have the person right next to you blow onto those dice. And when you roll those dice, those, roll, those dice will land just as God plans. You believe that? Do you believe if a sparrow falls to the ground in a gigantic, unpopulated forest that it can happen without God's consent? Do you believe it is possible for you to be brushing your hair and have just one piece of your hair fall out without God knowing it, allowing it, and then subtracting it from his total of your hairs on his head? Matthew 10, 29 and 30 says it pretty, pretty straightforward. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? In other words, they're little things. Very insignificant, a sparrow. Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent, but even the hairs on your head have all been counted. Every roll of the dice in Las Vegas or in Yahtzee in your family room, every tiny bird that falls dead in the forest, every hair on your head, all of this is under the command of God. Every particle of dust that dances in the sunbeam when you open the window blind in the morning. All of that is moving according to God's wishes. Every windblown piece of chaff on a piece of grain lands exactly where God intends it to land. Every meat maple leaf that falls from a tree in early winter, it's the same ordained falling as an avalanche. There's nothing that exists, visible or invisible, that escapes his sovereign control and authority. And if you think about it, if, there were, if it were possible for one thing to be outside of his sovereign control, God would not be God. R.C. Sproul, preacher, theologian, he says it this way. If there is even one maverick molecule in the universe, one molecule running loose outside the scope of God's sovereign ordination, we cannot have the slightest confidence that any promise God has ever made about the future will come to pass. Hear the word of God. God is sovereign over little things. And God is sovereign over Satan and his demonic powers. Mark 1.27 says that they were all amazed. This is a group of people that were in the synagogue, church. So they began to argue with one another saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commanded even unclean spirits and they obeyed him. Jesus and his disciples were in Capernaum. They went to church there and as Jesus was teaching, an unclean spirit speaks out and says, what are you doing here, Jesus? 
You come to destroy us? And Jesus rebukes that spirit and he leaves. And they get this response right here. Even the unclean spirits obey him. Luke 10, 17 and 18. The 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a lightning flash. Satan and his demons only do what God allows them to do. God is sovereign over the littlest things. He's sovereign over Satan and his demonic helpers. And God is sovereign over nature. Psalm 89.9 You rule the raging sea. When its waves surge, you still them. Isaiah 40.26 Look up, see who created these. He brings out the starry host by number. He calls them all by name. Because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. Can you imagine tonight walking outside and looking up and trying to find the North Star and it be missing? Not missing because like the clouds are in the way and you can't see it. I mean missing like it's gone, it's not there. Do you realize how disastrous our lives would be if the North Star left us? We do a lot of things based on the North Star. GPS systems. In the book of Jonah, God commands a fish to swallow a man, Jonah 1.17, and then he commands a plant to grow over that man for shade in 4.16 after he's regurgitated out of this fish. And then he commands a worm to eat and kill the plant the next day in Jonah 4.7. God created all things and therefore has rule over all things. Over little things. Over Satan. Over nature. Over authority. And over humanity. Us. Proverbs 16.9 A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. Proverbs 19.21 Many plans are in a man's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. Proverbs 20, 24, a man's steps are determined by the Lord, so how can anyone understand his own way? James 4, 13 through 15, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such city and spend a year there and do business there and make a profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like smoke that appears for a little while then vanishes. Instead you should say, if the Lord wills, you will live and do this or that. Hear it clearly. Make your plans. Make them. We should make them. We're told to make them. But make them with the understanding that your plans will go according just as you plan them, or your plans will go sort of like what you plan them, or your plans won't go anything like you plan them, all according to the will of God. Amen. And no one is exempt from this standard. Proverbs 21.1 A king's heart is like a streams of water in the hand of the Lord, and He directs it wherever He chooses. The most powerful people on the face of the earth are at the mercy of God. You get the mental picture? He holds them in the palm of His hand. If you want a reason why we should be praying for President Biden and every other elected official, it's because God is in charge of them. God's sovereignty exists even in our human disabilities. Exodus 4.11, Yahweh said to him, Who made the human mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf? 
seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? God sovereign over human infertility? For Samuel 1.5, but he, that's God, gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. God's authority is over all of human life. From being born to dying, everything in between, anything you can imagine put in between that time period and before and after, he is in charge of. Every single person's every single thought and every single action, including every single breath, every single blink, every single swallow, every single heartbeat, every single muscle twitch, every single everything is under the complete control of God. God is sovereign over salvation. Romans 9, 15 and 16. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. Acts 13, 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and glorified the message of the Lord and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. Romans 8, 29 and 30. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. God is sovereign over eternal life. Which leads us to part three. And our first question. If God is sovereign the way Scripture describes Him to be, do we have free will or are we just some little robot programmed to do whatever He says? When we talk about free will, we are usually talking about matters of salvation. Sometimes we may talk about free will as in like, oh, do I really have a choice between a salad and a steak for dinner tonight? But most of the time, our intent is about who really does, who exactly is in control of our eternal destiny. So if by free will, we mean that God gives humans the opportunity to make choices that affect their destiny, then yes, human beings do have a free will. The world's current sinful state that we are living in right now, it's directly linked to a free will of choices made by Adam and Eve. God created mankind in his own image, and that includes the ability to choose. However, free will does not mean that mankind can do anything that he pleases. Our choices are limited to that which is in keeping with our nature. For example, if a person wants to walk across the bridge, he can walk across the bridge or not walk across the bridge. But what he may not choose is to fly over the bridge. Not without a plane, at least. Because that is not his nature. His nature prevents him from flying. A prisoner has the freedom to pace back and forth in their cell, up and down, up and down. But he is constrained by the walls of that cell and can go no further. No matter how much he might desire it, his will might desire it, he can't go any further. So it is with man. Man cannot choose to make himself righteous. 
You cannot wake up tomorrow morning and go, today I'll be righteous. It's against our very nature because we have a sin nature. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is more deceitful than anything else and it's incurable. Who can understand it? So we are left with this conundrum. The New Testament command is for sinners to repent and believe. Repent and believe. We see it over and over again. I'll show you three of them. Matthew 3, 2. Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Acts 3, 19a. Therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. 1 John 3, 23a. Now this is his command that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. But how can a person limited by sin nature ever make such a decision? Truly, this is impossible for us to fully understand. The dynamics of a holy God molding and shaping the will of man. Scripture is clear that God knows the future and he has total sovereignty, control over all things. But yet the Bible also says that we must choose God to be eternally, or else we'll be eternally separated from him. We are responsible. We are held responsible for our actions. How these facts work together, it is just impossible for a finite, limited mind to understand a God of infinite, limitless mind. And so what happens is sometimes we have people that take such extremes, take two extremes in regard to this. Some emphasize the sovereignty of God so much to the point that they do become nothing more than a little robot simply doing whatever they've been sovereignly wired to do. Others emphasize free will to the point so much that now they've removed God out of having complete control or knowledge of all things. And honestly, neither of these are a biblical position. The truth is that God does not violate our wills by choosing us and redeeming us. Rather, He changes our hearts so that we will choose Him. He uses all the circumstances in our lives to draw us to Him. 1 John 4.19 We love Him because He first loved us. John 15.16 You did not choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you. Ephesians 2.1 describes the process It says, we who are dead in our trespasses and sins have been made alive through Christ. A dead man cannot make himself alive. He he lacks the necessary power to do so. God knows the desperate and helpless state of our souls. And in his great love and mercy, he sovereignly chose to send his son to the cross to redeem us. And why did he choose to do it this way? Ephesians 1, 5 and 6, pretty clear. Because it was according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. It is huge. It is important to understand that the plan of salvation is designed to glorify God and not man. And our response is praise him for the glory of his grace. If we chose our own salvation, who would get the glory? We would. And God has made it clear. 
Isaiah 48.11 I will act for my own sake, indeed my own, for how can I be defiled? I will not give my glory to another. Salvation is God's idea for God's glory. Humans have free will. It is just limited and unable to provide authentic salvation that leads to eternal life in heaven. One of the most fascinating examples in the Bible of free will and the sovereignty of God is King Ahab of Israel. King Ahab is wanting King Jehoshaphat, I didn't make up these names, it's true, of Judah to help conquer Ramoth Gilead. That's a place that Syria had overtaken from them. And King Jehoshaphat basically says, King Ahab, I am here for you, man. My horses are your horses. My soldiers are your soldiers. But um, first, can we we check in with the prophets of God to see what they say? That was a big deal in the Old Testament. And so they do that. And the prophets unanimously say, go. But King Jehoshaphat, probably by the Holy Spirit's prompting, he says, uh, King Ahab, I know everyone out there is saying go. Can we, can we ask just one more prophet? He's out of town right now. Can we ask him? And King Ahab, this is a true story. I'm going to show it to you in a second. Right? And King Ahab said, reluctantly says, well, yeah, there's another guy, but I really don't want to ask him. His name's Micaiah. And every time I ask him something, he only prophesies evil and bad news for me. To the point that over the time of King Ahab's lifetime and his rule, it says Ahab, King Ahab hates this prophet. But they do it anyway. And, King, and, and Micaiah, staying true to form, says, if you go, you're going to die. I'm, I'm pretty sure kings don't like hearing that kind of message. They don't like being told something that's not in their plans. So what do you think he's going to do? He's not going to go. He's going to listen to that. Everything he said from Micaiah says is true. It's always happened. He says, I'm going to die. I'm not going, right? And I want you to pick it up with me here in 1 Kings 22, 20 through 23. This is a fascinating passage about free will of man and the sovereignty of God. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? Get it? The king has said, no, I ain't going. And now the Lord's saying, who can I get to go entice him to go? Free will, sovereignty of God. And one said one thing and another said another thing. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, a spirit came before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? How are you going to do this? And he said, I will go out and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, and he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. So King Ahab, he believes the prophets of the lying spirit. And he chooses not to listen to Micaiah. As a matter of fact, he says, get Micaiah, put him in jail. Give him just enough food, just enough water while I'm gone, and when I get back, we'll really get him good. And Micaiah responds, if I didn't hear from the Lord, if you come back, then I didn't hear from the Lord. But you ain't coming back. And here's how it ends. 
Verses 29 to 38, just read with me. So the king of Israel, that's King Ahab, and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, they went up to Ramoth Gilead, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear all the robes. Are you kidding me? Let me get this straight. You want to dress up and not look like a king, and you want me to look like a king? I wonder if Micaiah's thinking's in the back of his head. If you go, you're going to get killed. Well, if I don't look like a king. And the king of Israel disguised himself, and he went to battle. Now the king of Syria, interesting, get, this is a guy that does not love God, has commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, fight with neither small nor great, but only look for the king of Israel, King Ahab. And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat sitting in all of his robes, they said, there he is, it's surely the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out and said, it ain't me, I'm Jehoshaphat. And this is what happened. The captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, and they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random, and he struck the king of Israel, Ahab, between the scale armor and the breastplate. What? A random lucky arrow? just shot up when they're not even really fighting after those guys. They only want the king. And it hits him right in the breastplate. Therefore, King Ahab said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day. And the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until at evening he died. And the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. And at about sunset, a cry went out through the army of Israel. And just as Micaiah had said, you will get killed, every man to his city and every man to his country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria. And they buried the king in Samaria. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria. And the dogs looked up his blood. And the prostitutes washed themselves in the chariot according to the word of the Lord that had been spoken. Pretty graphic. King Ahab made all these decisions and choices under his own free will. In other words... He made his plans, but God decided his steps. And we can be assured that every circumstance in your life is ordered by God. Your circumstances at home, your circumstances at work, your circumstances of health, your circumstances of people that you meet, all of these circumstances are specially ordered by God. And we will make choices and we will make decisions based on these circumstances. And God will use these circumstances and choices to fulfill his sovereign plan. His plan will not be thwarted. Period. And part four. What about evil and a sovereign God? How can God be sovereign over evil and suffering? I mean, this question alone is its own sermon, and I'm going to just try to really quickly hit it. The Bible affirms the essential goodness of everything that exists. 
In other words, God created everything that exists and everything God created is created good. That is a true statement. Revelation 4.11 Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and because of your will they will exist and were created. And yet, however, from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, that's basically the entire Bible outside the first two chapters of the Bible, it affirms the existence of evil because of Adam and Eve's free will to choose sin. And now the Bible uses languages like this all throughout the Bible. 1 John 5, 19, the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Galatians 1, 4, this present evil age. Genesis 6, 5, Every, every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. Everything is contaminated by sin now. You can't look at anything, you can't touch anything that has not been contaminated by sin. But evil has no independent existence. It is a perversion and a corruption of what is good. Anything that we now call sin at one time, it was good. It's been messed up by sin. Sin is the greatest evil. It's the root of all evil. And evil now has attached itself to what originally was good. Aren't you glad Jesus is coming back to fix it all? He is in the process now of doing it. Despite what you may think and what it looks like, He is now in the process of doing that. And He will finish it. Evil is totally alien to God. The Bible again and again and again affirms that God is perfectly upright, perfectly righteous, perfectly good, perfectly holy. Yet, God himself says, Isaiah 45, 7, I form light and create darkness. I make success and create disaster. I, Yahweh, do all these things. Amos 3, 6 says the same thing. If a disaster occurs in a city, hasn't the Lord done it? Well, why? Why does God make disasters? And why does God use evil for His purposes? For the very same reason He doesn't always make disasters. That's why. Why do hurricanes exist for disaster? For the very same reason today we have blue sunny skies. Why does cancer exist with all of its suffering? For the very same reason that good health exists. Why does famine exist? For the very same reason we have buffets. Follow me here. Good, bad. Why does unemployment and hard times exist? For the very same reason employment and good times exist. Why do flat tires exist? For the very same reason aired up tires exist. You can name anything. You could even say, why does a person live without a refrigerator for five weeks and three days? Five weeks now. We were four. Now we're five. For the same reason that some people live with a refrigerator for five, day, five weeks and three days. The point is this, that there is nothing that exists that is outside of his sovereignty. And there is nothing that he does not use for his glory and for the good of his people, including evil and suffering. We just may not be able to see it that way on this side of heaven. Again, I say, try to put finite understanding into infinite, limitless understanding. It's impossible. 
And it's called, we live by faith and trust. What would happen in the history of the world if Jacob had not given Joseph a coat of many colors? You know that story? It's in Genesis 37. If you don't know it, I recommend homework for today. Genesis 37, read this. No coat, no jealousy. No jealousy, no treacherous sale of Joseph to slavery. No treacherous sale of Joseph to slavery, no descent into Egypt. No descent into Egypt, no meeting Potiphar. No meeting Potiphar, no meeting, no trouble with Potiphar's wife. No trouble with Potiphar's wife, no imprisonment. No imprisonment, no interpretation of the dreams of Pharaoh. No interpretation of the dreams of Pharaoh, no elevation to the role of prime minister. No elevation to the role of prime minister, no reconciliation with his brothers. No reconciliation with his brothers, no migration of the Jewish people into Egypt. No migration into Egypt, no exodus out of Egypt. No exodus out of Egypt, no Moses, no law, no prophets, and no Christ. Do you think it's an accident that God's plan included a coat of many colors to happen? God meant it for good, what man meant for evil. God is sovereign over coats of many colors and no colors at all. So what do we do with it? I just want to give you four application points for us on the sovereignty of God. One, the sovereignty of God impacts everyday life in that it's supposed to, it should, it removes all cause for worry. I mean, it's really freeing if you can embrace the sovereignty of God. It is much more than just to be a debated topic between churches and denominations and us together. Well, I think it's this and I think it's this. I'll tell you what the sovereignty of God is supposed to do. It's supposed to remove worry from our lives. He is in control. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Two, the sovereignty of God impacts everyday life and that we can trust God's sanctifying work in us. Like the things that are going on in your life right now, that is God's working out in you, sanctifying us. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you, oh, he will complete it. He will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That's the sovereignty of God. And three, the sovereignty of God impacts everyday life in how we make choices. Like I hope you walk out of here going today, okay, I'm going to make a choice today. God, my choice. What's God's word say about that? I, I, I think it's supposed to drive us to his word and to drive us to prayer. To say, God, what do you want for this? How do you want this relationship to go? What do you want me to do about this job situation? What do you Fill in the blank. It impacts how we make our choices. And four, the sovereignty of God impacts everyday life in our sense of identity. Earlier, Kenan prayed that we would know God, draw to God more after being here today. I want you to know, I hope you can see from Scripture, God is a big, big, big 
God. And He loves us. And we can be safe and secure in Him. We can put whatever title we want to around our names, like I'm Doug the dad, I'm Doug the husband, I'm Doug the pastor, I'm Doug the little business owner. But whatever title I put there, there is not a greater title to put than I am Doug the child of God. Are you his child? Let's pray. Father, I am overwhelmed. by this attribute in your sovereignty. I so readily admit I understand so very little. But your word says and your promises are that you have revealed enough. You've revealed yourself so that we can have a relationship with you. Lord, let praise be on our lips in all circumstances because we understand that the circumstances are not apart from your governing. But let us then be thankful for even the hard times. We certainly understand that life is hard It has suffering. It has disasters. Your word makes it very clear as to why. Sin. And as you reveal that to us, Father, I'd ask that we would just continually run to the cross of Jesus Christ and to put our faith, our hope in Him. Lord, you are not just a mental, physical therapy for us that makes us feel good that we deal with hardships of life this way. That is not who you are at all. You are God Almighty, ruler of the universe. Let it be so that you receive the honor that you're due and let that honor come from us and our lips in our actions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.